Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Private Capital Investing, we explore the intersection between private investing in growth markets and the locations where access to capital and investor opportunities reside. Today's guest is Abhi Subramanian, a principal investor in over 50 companies who has completed nearly 200 venture capital, growth equity, and structured capital transactions. Abby led private capital financing teams at Thomas Weisel Partners, Jeffries, and Cowan. He has entrepreneurial experience as a founder of Next Generation Satellite Systems and Hudson Fairfax Group Cybersecurity. He is currently the CEO at GGA Private Capital, a merchant banking platform that acts in concert with leading private equity investors and families. Abby, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Abby. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you guys having me both on. So, Abby, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, Jamie, uh, you know, I'm a um, New York, proud New Yorker. I've been in New York for probably 26 years. I grew up in India. I actually moved to the States when I was 10 and uh, lived, uh, lived all over the world. And although New York feels like home, uh, where I met my wife and had our two girls. So, uh, New Yorker, but connected to the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, really enjoy all the city has to offer. And uh, as, as I know, both of you do. So, Abby, uh, you have a fascinating background in private equity and financial markets. What I find most interesting is how investment can be sourced and deployed in different parts of the world. But before we get into this, I would love to um, to get a, an explanation from you on, on what is private equity for our listeners and how is that different from other sources of capital, like venture capital, for example? Alex, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I think that uh, basically private, the word private means a company that's not public. And, you know, you, when you start a company, you can either bootstrap it or spend your own money growing the company to a certain stage, right? Whereby you put your money, your savings and your sort of uh, income into the company to grow the company. Whenever you choose to uh, sort of accelerate the growth, you have to get capital from uh, other parties, third parties, right? And so typically that's in the form of uh, what is called venture capital, meaning betting on an idea that's yet to be formed. And there, there, obviously there's ideas that are very immature. There's ideas that are more mature. Basically, these are companies that are nascent or ideas that are nascent. A private equity typically refers to a private, similarly privately sourced investment, but the one where the company is much more mature, you know, with revenues, with cash flow, you know, with sort of doing tangible things, selling tangible products, but much more mature in its life cycle, but albeit still private. So that's the distinction. But really, it's very much of a, um, of, a, of, a, of a kind of a gradual continuum. It's not a sort of a hard and fast rule. And sometimes, you know, the terms are used interchangeably uh, between private equity and venture capital. So how did you get into the business? You know, it's a very roundabout way. Um, I was always uh, sort of as a kid, mathematically oriented, and I studied engineering in college. And I kind of fell into the whole investment banking bug, as we all tend to do in the 90s. And I realized the, the part of it I really liked was the part that connected back to what I got me to engineering in the first place, working with kind of technologically driven companies and in kind of very mathematical concepts, right? So that really uh, drove me from the banking world to something more akin to the venture capital and private equity world, which is much more 
a marriage of what I had from a skills perspective, right, with the world of finance. So it's kind of probably part uh, kind of background, part education, part uh, sort of uh, probably random luck, I would I would argue, but probably a combination of those three. Well, it's interesting you said you're an engineer. I'm an engineer as well. And I think that background gives you the ability to perhaps understand different industries a little better than somebody who has a different background. Um, based on what you're saying, could you basically say that the earlier you invest in the company, the riskier it is, but the higher the return. And what private equity is doing is trying to position themselves a little less risk in the sense that the company does seem to have an established idea, an actual product, a potential market, and you're helping them take it from that phase to fruition versus trying to pick from 10 companies where they're all ideas, which idea might actually have, uh, might make sense. Is that a, an accurate description? Yeah, I think, I think the, look, I think they, you cannot completely take risk out of the equation because ultimately, you know, when you use the word risk, like the reward is directly connected to the risk, right? So um, there's always quote unquote risks or pitfalls at each stage. So if you have an early stage company, the question is, is that idea even valid or not, right? But when you have a later, something later stage of risks that prop up like you know, supplier chain uh, relationships, contracts, macro stuff, you know, and so there's always an element of risk that crops up. It's just a different, different companies at different stages at different risks, right? And you just have to, whatever you, know, you end up doing, uh, as an investor or entrepreneur, you just have to be cognizant of those risks. And they vary as a company grows up from uh, a cold startup to something more mature or even to a mature company, right? That's been around for many years. There's always risk. It's just that the risk, the definition of risk shifts a lot, right? Between what they were when their company was nascent to what it, it may be when the company is more mature. So I want to unpack that a little bit, right? Because I, I think I want to talk a little bit about risk. And I think a lot of... Um, of what we've been hearing in the news lately is about risks and risk taking on uh, on the financial, but uh, by financial companies. Uh, but what you're mentioning it was interesting because it's about the risk because the business that you're investing in may be risky. But in a lot of ways, the banks or the private equity firms and or venture capital are also investing other people's money, and so they're taking the risks on the other side in a lot of ways. Um, can you? Can you explain a little bit for our listeners how private equity firms make their money and thus where the risk and reward becomes um, and it becomes attractive for someone to get in the business and just start a company that that does what you do? Yeah. And, and you know, also we can talk about also maybe after, and it's a question you've asked, but how the whole private equity landscape has changed. Uh, now you have different people from family offices to other people that are doing private equity in the olden days or even quote unquote olden days being the eighties, it was just a narrow group. <laughs> That's of already people. the olden days. Oh my God, it's all over. <laughs> just, I, just I get the, just measure the me for the days, box. Man, the good old days. But so, so basically what the way it works is um, they uh, typically, uh, and I'm using the word private equity interchangeably with venture capital, okay, just for ease of ease of conversation. But generally speaking, uh, these institutions uh, get their capital from, folks that are looking to deploy for a long period of time uh, for a good return, right? People like insurance companies, college endowments, pension funds, retirement funds, et cetera. They don't need the money tomorrow, but they need it and call it 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and so typically they give the money to the investor. The investor has to raise a fund, right? And typically uh, the fund is comprised of um, uh, 
people put money in this in this fund with, uh, with this sort of characteristic, right? And the way it works is um, um, the investor gets a return uh, 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 of the money if and when only profits are realized, uh, and and the people that provided the money keep the bulk of the profits. So typically, it works like an eighty twenty split. So let's say say uh, Jamie is the uh, you know pension fund that gives money to me to entrust, and I invest in that mo- that money into a range of startups. And let's say one startup has an exit, right? If you will. And the way it works is typically uh, Jamie will get eighty percent of the profits uh, that I make on the venture, and and my private equity uh, group will take twenty percent of the profits for the work that I've done. Typically, it's like that. And and on top of that, there's usually uh, sort of a yearly management fee that's used to pay lawyers, salaries, office space, travel, etc. So typically, it's, that's the way it works, a uh, high level. Which is a good way to set it up because you basically have the same incentive as the investor, which is you don't make any money unless the investor makes money. So you're in it together as uh, you know as partners, so to speak. Well, you can't you can't if you put them into lousy investments after investment, you're not going to make any money, and no one's going to give you any more money. So there's incentives there for you to maximize how you use someone else's money. Correct? That's right. That's right. So I think the 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 question becomes you know the real question becomes. Uh, how, you know, uh, what the what the guardrails are, right? So typically, you know, raising this pool of capital is not trivial. It's hard to do. And so typically, uh, uh, let's say use Jamie as an example. Uh, it's always my money for some reason. You know, it would, 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 would sort of look at me and say, what have you done before? What's your track record, right? What's your reputation? What are your other founders you put money to say? So there's a lot of diligence done before, a given private equity fund is entitled to capital from a from a trusted source. So that's how they do their work. Look at your prior priors in terms of uh, reputation, track record, aptitude, you know, you name it. But it's not all about it's not all about the exit though, right? I mean, you know, sometimes out of a portfolio, you could have one unicorn and the rest are duds. Uh, you could have an investment that may not necessarily um allow you to receive 10x or 100x on your money and and so forth so and if you're waiting until that exit you that could be that could be years i mean how do you how do you make money um you know on a yearly basis or how do companies like yours make money on a year-to-year basis and pay salaries and all that when in fact you're only getting money when an exit occurs in other words yes. the returns are very lumpy so i have you know i guess exactly I mean, so I've structured, you know, so I've structured uh, myself as a merchant bank, which is an important characterization because I've sort of thought about it for a while. And, and, and what's apparent to me is that there's a lot of, I mean, the, you know, the, the venture capital and private equity market is way bigger now than it was 20 years ago, right? Because everyone is looking for yield, looking for return. Um, so a lot of people that avoided it due to, you know, risk. Uh, or, or just didn't understand the space or in it now, right? From sovereign wealth funds to family offices to individuals, et cetera. So I've, my uh, mousetrap is I focus the most on the front end of the process, i.e. I want to be the most important person to the entrepreneur. So let's say Alex has um, created the next uh, AI company, right? And Alex owns 100% of the company. Um, you know, your mind is swirling with, you know, all kinds of stuff you have to do from money to contracts to legal to hiring to god knows what right so my i my sort of operating plan or op- method of operations to be the you know swiss army knife or indispensable uh and a resource to you 
Um, the, 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 the money to me is, is somewhat fungible, whereby there's different capital sources we team up with uh, depending on you know, what Alex does and what his, what his returns are, needs are, right? So to answer the question, the, uh, the, 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 the returns are lumpy. Um, oftentimes, in my case, I have an advisory fee element that I sort of layer on uh, with equity returns that sort of smooths out the, 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 the curve, if you will, right? So that's, that's a little bit how I do it. And, you know, and if you do enough of these, you can kind of, um, uh, you know, you can kind of smooth out the risk and return as well on some of these uh, companies. But typically, my, my you know, interest is to be, uh, you know, directly aligned with the entrepreneur, whereby the, um, to answer your question, for example, Alex may want to spin out a division or may want to do something different, right? So there's ways which I can get involved where a traditional private venture capital fund or private equity fund only does X that fits in the box. I'm able to do X plus, right? Uh, which creates maybe money-making opportunities as well for everyone concerned. So I, it's funny that you use the reference to Swiss Army knife. I, I get it, but you know what? I, did, I always find the Swiss knife, Army knives are completely useless. <laughs> useless. I mean, the, the knives are too small. Uh, and cut a fingernail every once in a while. I mean, they, they, they always have this little small scissor. I, this thing. I'm like, what, like, what am I supposed to cut with that thing? Well, this, very this small paper. A, this one's a big one. How about that? Oh, there you go. Well, listen, uh, uh, Abby, there, it sounds like there's two sides to the equation here. One is the companies that you have to find, and two is where do you source the capital to build the fund. So let's take them one at a time. For people who are listening, who might have an idea, who think they have a potential company, from a person like from your vantage point, what is it that you look for in a potential target investment? Is it the quality of management? Is it the, the market that they might be in and the opportunity? Is it is it the competitive landscape? Is it the technology? that they're trying to create or use is it viable what are two or three things that you have to see to say okay this is at least worth pursuing as a potential investment yeah so it's, it's a good question it's probably the sim simplest way to answer is probably all the above but i'd say the the management or the quality of the management is probably head and shoulders above everything else if i were to just if you were to force me to choose one variable that's it and it's probably not only management in terms of what he or she has done in, in you know, is, is pr proposing you do, but also has done in, in their past. But it's also uh, quality management as reflected by who they hire. Because I think it's even more important because I mean, for example, there's a company that I'm involved with um, that and it's a great company, but the CEO does, you know, sort of the people he hires are not his quality, right? His level. Maybe it's, there's various reasons that's the case, but Ultimately, to me, um, that doesn't reflect well on the on the, all, you know you need to hire people that are better than you to build the you know the legacy of the company beyond your uh, reach, right? So I think that that's probably the most important thing. Uh, the clearly the addressable market question is an important one. It has to be a big total addressable market. The you know the the problem with that is as well is that oftentimes the addressable market is yet to be formed, right? So. If you look at a lot of the startups or a lot of the entities that really succeeded, they probably violated half those, you know, uh, guidelines in the rule book, right? I'm mixing and matching, but because you know the the, the greatest markets have sort of yet to be created, you, you know what I mean? But so you have to look at it as a as a, as a rule of thumb for sure. Um, the uh, that's very important. Uh, yes, I'd say, and then and then in my case, for me, I look at. Generally, most of what I get involved in has some kind of technological um, focus, meaning 
I mean, I, lot, I do, uh, you know, the, the three or four verticals I play in are, are TMT broad, TMT being technology media telecom broadly defined. It can be software, enterprise software, um, media, content, um, uh, hardware, um, you know, across the, you know, across the board, right? Uh, communications equipment, communication services, uh, digital assets, i.e., crypto. And it, that's a broad, that's another segue, but you know, broadly speaking, from mining to Web three to beyond, consumer facing companies, uh, life sciences, meaning uh, biotech uh, devices. Um, as you mentioned that, as I mean to cut you off there, but you know, I think what I'm hearing you saying is a lot of different categories and industries, but at the same time, they all kind of intersect with each other in a lot of ways, right? I mean, I feel like I feel like you know, th there's a real estate kind of runs through a lot of that. In some cases, there's real estate, there's software, property tech, there's there's um, telecom um, sourcing for land for 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 towers. A lot of different things that that run both um, cross intersectional industries, and then at the same time uh, have geographic implications. And you know, I think one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about is investment that is in tech that's in Silicon Valley, but now that's changed. Silicon Valley is no longer the center for all investment in tech. Um, a lot of those um, investors are moving in different parts of the country. Um, Texas is now becoming a, a hot um, center for investment and tech. Florida and Miami has become a yeah. hot area. And matter of fact, you just mentioned before the show that you were coming down to Miami for a conference. Can you tell us about um, where the sources of capital are coming from? Has that shifted? Uh, where um, is, it, is, is, it, is it domestic? Is it U.S.? Is it overseas? People are investing in the U.S. Like, can you tell us a little bit about the regionalization of investment and the opportunities that people are seeing? Yeah, so let me address, before answering that question, let me address the sort of first point made, which is that what's happening now is tech is, tech in quotes, is disrupting the real world versus disrupting itself in a niche way, right? So industries that are everything from real estate to industrial to otherwise, are, you know, are being big mainline industries are being materially impacted by technology. So that impact is just at the, at the nascency stage, right? It's just, just starting. Right, that's first and foremost. And secondly, I think we're in a very interesting point in time where a bunch of these technologies are all, uh, you know, uh, you know, working on top of each other. That's leading to this exponential growth and in innovation. Right, a lot of it's AI related. Lots, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But it's it's a sort of technology on top of technology is leading to this exponential growth. Now, to your question, it was about geography, correct? Um, I, I think that the in a way. I guess the best way to I can think about it is, I mean, we're all in this kind of we're all in kind of this experiment together, right, to some degree. But I think that uh, COVID or the point of time after COVID sort of you know made everyone uh, virtualized, and I think now the last year and a half, two years as we're, we're coming out of it, we're back. You know, we're kind of in a hybrid model or back in an IRL model or some somewhere in between, but but we're being re reassembled, right? Reassembled. So it's reassembling whereby uh, people with the like affinity are meeting, uh, reassembling in physical uh, you know, points of presence. And also they also exist and work together um, you know, virtually as well. So places like Miami is a, is a very um, a prime example, right? So Miami um, just you know, it started almost as a lark, the whole, you know, how can I help in you know, 2020? But now you know, showing that there's something called network effects, what was 
you know, uh, network, what was uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, nascent is now really building it, building on itself. And so it's attracting the kind of people that are involved in innovation economy, being tech, like crypto and beyond who are, would have, would have had an affinity anyway, and are now assembling in real life and pursuing kind of, you know, similarly uh, themed um, uh, companies to build uh, together. So that's happening in Miami and, and, and other places like that, like Miami. You seem to have uh, uh, very strong relationships with investors overseas in the Middle East and in Asia. Um, I, I've traveled to some of those places and anyone who's done business there, it's very different in how people do business in different parts of the world versus how they do business here. The U.S. seems much more transaction oriented. What have you done for me lately and what are my returns versus it seems like in other parts of the world, a lot of it is relationship and respectfulness and and building long term uh uh, cooperation before eventually moving on to business. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you focus in those areas in terms of where you're getting your capital and how and how you need to have societal and relationship expertise above and beyond just business acumen? Sure. Uh, look, I think that uh, the when I my entity GGA stands for Global Growth Access, right? I mean, it was a I set it up, you know, ten years ago, uh, and it was done kind of in a, in a whim, and I didn't really think about the name, but um, the premise is that for any enterprise institution to, to, to grow and succeed, it has to have a global footprint, right, writ large. And I've always, just given my background and, you know, originally from India and lived all over the world and so forth, I've always had that orientation, but uh, I explicitly feel that having that global connectivity is kind of one of my secret sauces, right? In addition to linking uh, you know, having this network in my brain of people and companies and ideas, but also having that that global uh, connectivity is, is is very important to me, and I think should be. It's going to be. I think it's going to increase in importance for for everyone, for all of us going forward. So I have a, so I have my so I have business partners in in, in uh, across Europe, the key ones in London and the continent. Uh, I have uh, business partners in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Uh, I. Uh, you know, I, I did do and did work for a fam, single family office out of Hong Kong. So I have connectivity in Asia. And I think that, um, you know, simply put, they, they, now that, uh, you know, there's no physical, like say Silicon Valley is everywhere, right, if you will. So innovation could easily come from, you know, Nigeria as it is from Sandal Road, right? So you have to be globally present and, you know, and, 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 and with respect to the Middle East specifically, you know, they've always... Being seen, being seen as a as a use as a source of capital, right? They've been, you know, those economies are the, the growth rates are spectacular, and they're now they're trying to diversify away from the reliance on oil. So they're trying to where, where do you put, you know, where do you diversify into? Just which, which is tech, right? Uh, initially, it was real estate, then it's tech. Because these are all having common themes. So so that's it's important to have a have a strong nexus there, but but equally. It's also becoming a, a, a use of capital as much a source of capital because it, let's take Dubai in particular, right? A city that's very much has a lot of affinities to Miami where you're based, right? So it's a city that's at the nexus of, in a way, Europe and Asia. Um, you know, it, you know. So India, a lot of Indian entrepreneurs use Dubai as a proxy. So you get all the uh, entrepreneurs from South Asia, Southwest Asia, who have companies that are either domiciled there or have base of operations there. And you have the Europeans, you have a lot of the you know, folks from Ukraine and other places that fled post the war. So you have this real magnet of talent, right? So it's, it's, this area is becoming a source of capital as much as use and, uh, of capital. So, you know what? It's very interesting you mentioned that, right? I think that the, the globalization of 
all things is 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 vastly interesting. Yeah. However, but this is also this concept of if it works here, it, it will work there, which means a lot of really great ideas that perhaps work and are investable ideas that work really well in the U.S. applied in another market would be equally successful. Um, we've seen that with the investment in mobility like Uber. And there's like always like, mm -hmm. yeah, we're the, now the Uber in India, we're the Uber in Brazil. And, and just take that business model and then just literally copy it somewhere else, put some money behind it and it will work. And I think the the reverse is also true in some cases where you've got real innovation in America, a lot of climate techs, not to, to be fair, um, uh, and environmental tech that was big in other markets, Israel, uh, Europe, uh, Middle East, and so forth, that apply to, to issues here in the U.S. around droughts, around flooding, and all that stuff. So, so there's a lot of really interesting cross-pollination and ideas, also investment. Do you see, from an investor standpoint, do you see investment shifting in a way around trends and, and businesses? Or do you see so that the, the application, the use of those funds, or do you see the source of funds moving? Like what's where do, what what chicken of the egg? Which is moving? Yeah, so, so the source of funds has always been moving historically. So typically the now it's global, right? So typically, you know, like the, you know, like this is a case in point, you know, like last year I went to the uh, big sort of FII in Saudi Arabia, right? It was last October. I mean, every sort of prominent sort of U.S. hedge fund manager, private equity entity was there from a fundraising perspective, right? So they always rely on that region for for sources of capital. But I think in terms of uses of capital and ideas, you know, you can see how you know Asia, in a, in a particularly South Korea and Japan, led on the, in the whole mobility space, right? Meaning it was it was innovation of ideas. Uh, you know, uh, took the baton away from Silicon Valley, right? Um, a lot of the innovative companies came from China, from South Korea, especially in the mobile mobility space, gaming space, et cetera. So that's already a trend that started in the 2000s. And I think certainly in some of the verticals you've mentioned, be it climate, climate tech, be it ag tech, other spaces, I think that you'll see innovation coming from, you know, those respective geographies, you know, back to the US and Western Europe, the other way around. So one trend has been prevalent for, for a while. The other one is is certainly been much more recent, but is, is becoming more prevalent, I would say. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I, I hear this all the time, right? When, when of course, Silicon Valley Bank is a big thing today, but, you know, maybe like five or six years ago, it was the soft bank thing with WeWork, right? And, and I'm sure all of us are uh, spent time in WeWork and there was, a, you know, obviously a massive um, mistake. Um, and then it becomes a public story, right? It becomes the front page of the, of the New York Times, if you will. And so at some point, the impact of these investments, regardless of where they come from, have a massive impact downstream on communities, on families, on people's jobs and livelihoods. And and it and sometimes you don't really kind of realize the impact of the work that you're doing um, that it you know that it has on on, on people downstream. So I, I wonder if there's a level of social responsibility at play here. That that private equity firms need to take a little bit more responsibility of their impact in the markets that they're serving uh, and the communities of which benefit from from the, from that investment. I think. Look, I think in general, it's, I don't. I think you can ever argue that this space has created a lot of jobs and a lot of innovation for everyone globally. Right, L lifted you know people out of poverty and, and all that good stuff. Created new drugs, saved lives. You know, 
depending on whatever parameter you look at. And I also think that you mentioned SoftBank, you mentioned SVB. These are all very different things. You cannot conflate one versus the other, first and foremost. I think from a returns perspective, typically the way our system works is always a, 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 a growth and a boom to excess and then a bust, right? But if you look at, um, you know, if you look at uh, the, a lot of the visions that were set forth in the 90s, like you know, when I was, you know, we're all you know, doing tech banking, things like that. A lot of those, you know, visions have come true, right? Uh, obviously, they're, you know, out of, out of, you know, everyone can't make it. So there's a lot of people can make it and, and, and a winner takes all. That's just the nature of capitalism. But a lot of the initial uh, promises have come true, right? And so, it's, so the, the, the benefit is vastly, vastly exceeds, you know, um, you know, any, 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 any detrimental behavior. But obviously, the, the 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 what happened with Theranos and companies like that's a bad actor issue. With with what happened with uh, with with the FTX is a bad actor issue. That that is one bucket, right? And that has to do with uh, the 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 proprietary the, the appropriate diligence you have to conduct on on your on and what job the function of your job. If you have a job, you have to do your job. If you're a, a, a night watchman, you have to watch for intruders, right? That's what you do. If you're a clerk, you have to do X. If you're a chef, you have right. to do X. Right, and if, it's, if, it's, if, if, there's, if, if people aren't doing the right thing or they're making mistakes, that has nothing to do with, 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 with the whole premise. I get all that. We get all that. Uh, but, but so let's look at the future here as, as we wrap up. Number one, two questions. Number one, uh, did what happen with Silicon Valley Bank, does that change anything in terms of your ability to raise capital for startups now? And number two, what is the next next thing? What is it you're looking at? You mentioned AI before. What sector do you think, or two sectors do you think we should look at to the future of opportunity? Yeah. So, so SV, the uh, the SVB issue. The short answer is no. I think I think the given that again, I explicitly have uh, you know chosen to be global and you know in 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 in, in the way I work that el that eliminates the worry of being exposed to one geography or one. And obviously the, the whole concept of private equity and ventures to get long-term capital, right? To get secured capital away from these gyrations of, you know, as we've, what, what we're learning now is there's no, you know, you know, the, the, our foundations are being tested, right? There's no uh, sure thing anymore, so to speak. So everything has risk and everything has a commensurate reward. The, I think the AI, to, you know, like I uh, am quite intrigued by the, by the AI space because AI is being, essentially it's, Opt, it's 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 an exponential technology is built built on an exponential technology, right? So what's happening in the AI space writ large? It's maybe it's a topic for another conversation. I think the innovation, obviously, we're in the hype cycle, right? Given what we're reading and hearing in the news, but those companies, you know, what what ChatGPT did, did in terms of its user penetration and adoption is it's un, un, unparalleled, right? The speed, right? The speed un, with which it was adopted. So I think. The level, you know, the, the, the applications, they're going to be built on top of it. And then they're going to be, be built on top of those applications. They're going to be game changing and things like drug development, things which, which are less consumer facing. So I think the real promises in those areas where you can develop a drug in, let's say, one year, where it would have taken you 10 years. So that area writ large is one that I'm very excited about, uh, probably more than anything else, right? Um, quantum computing, of course, has always been on the horizon. These are all interconnected thematically, right? To Alex, to your point, these are all connected technologies. If computing power now is infinite, right, given the cloud and given distributed computing, if compute if you can compute in one minute what you, it took you to compute in one hour, that's a step changer, right? So 
you know, think about, uh, you know, computing power is infinite, right? It costs to zero. Uh, just think about how much more you can do from an innovation standpoint, right? And obviously not all those things are going to succeed, but again, it's going to lead to innovation, jobs, growth, things like that. So these are all things that are interesting to me, but we shall, you know, we should all keep it. Yeah, I, and I, and I, th and so I thank you for, for that, for that guidance, right? I mean, just, just a quick point on the AI bit. I, I find it fascinating at, where chat GPT, for example, has has what they've achieved in such a matter in a relatively short amount of time. However, um, what I do know is chat GPT was free, right? And and it was really about eating the internet for a period, uh, allowing people to use the software and have it learn, mm -hmm. and then eventually it gets bought, right? And so there was there was a amount of investment that went into the R and D of what Chat GPT is, which was pretty much a bet that was made against one AI over the other. And everyone has, and we know, everyone has their own AI product. Countries have their own AI products, and it's only the AI products are only as good as the people that use it. And free is a powerful tool to to generate value and, and especially in this context and, and nothing ever is free but but and a lot of private equity and when we first started this 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 discussion you talked about money being spent and investment being made for companies that have a business model have profits and have revenue and all that and then there's companies that 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 don't uh, and that perhaps may never have in the foreseeable future, but are tremendously valuable for the, you know, for, for, for humanity. So I think there's a really interesting um, dynamic at play here, and I'm sure it will be a debate for, for many podcasts, many, many, many years to come. So, no question. so I want to, I want to thank you for opening this, this, um, this cat worms, no, I'm just kidding, uh, opening this discussion. I'm, sure, I'm just trying to get the next invite for the next, for the next episode. Well, look, I mean, well, when 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 Jamie and and, and Alex are now um, uh, AI chatbots, uh, we'll, we'll definitely. Um, what do you uh, mean when? <laughs> I don't even I don't even really exist. <laughs> uh, in, all in all serious, Nabi, um, we want to thank you for coming on and helping our listeners understand the industry within the industry that helps to fuel the growth of startup companies and businesses. A lot of them, which change the world we live in for the better. So, thank you for coming on, and we wish you nothing but success with your future endeavors. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. It was a great chat. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week.